Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and truth. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. It's September 25th, uh, 2018. We've got an exciting show, part one tonight, and you are going to be fascinated by the story uh, that you're going to hear from our guest, uh, McKenna uh, Denson. But before that, I want you to take a quick look at this. As Elder Dallin H. Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has said, our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. If LDS theology begins with heavenly parents, then it seems more emphasis ought to be given to the other half of the couple, Heavenly Mother. Elders, thanks for reading that essay with me. I just want you to know that when it comes to Christianity, the only real practice or belief that ties Christianity into the LDS view of a mother in heaven comes either from paganism and or the origin of Mary worship. Both of these have ties to the notion of a queen in heaven, which is mentioned in the Old Testament. Elder, would you read Jeremiah 7, 17 through 18? See us now not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. Here God warned the Jews who had rebelled against him by honoring the Queen of Heaven. In my estimation, all of this Mother in Heaven and Queen of Heaven talk is just another means to get people to take their eyes off the one true and living God. Okay, I have a challenge for you before we go to McKenna. And uh, I, this is, I'm really throwing down the gauntlet. I really am, am hoping you'll take this challenge. First, if you're sick of what evangelical Christianity has fed you, if you're seeking for truth, if you're someone who's certain that they understand Christianity, um, I have a direct invitation to all of you, a challenge for those of you. And uh, that is this coming Sunday, September 30th, 10 a.m., join us online at campuschurch.tv for one, one teaching only. Just one teaching. We've never done this. I've never invited you to come and, and uh, do one teaching and test it. Come listen, criticize, test it, but tune in Sunday, 10 a.m., uh, September 30th. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if you simply just listen to the context and the content, you will hear something I doubt you've ever heard before, and it will be an idea that is supported completely by Scripture, and you will walk away with a new perspective that will change your overall view of the faith today. Come as a doubter. Come as a seeker. Come as a supporter. But one Sunday only, this coming Sunday, join us online and see if what we present can change your worldview. Yes, I am telling you, I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to walk out of your church that day early or whatever. Go to your car, open up your smartphone, go to campuschurch.tv, right at 10. You're going to have to sit through about five or eight minutes of, of a song and, and, and prayer. And then we get into the message. Listen to the message and challenge it. Boycott your prejudices. If you don't go to a church, Get out of your P, get in your PJs, stay in your PJs, sit on the couch, campuschurch.tv, 10 a.m. this Sunday, September 30th. 
and test all things and hold fast to what is good. 10 a.m. Sunday, September 30th. And now to part one with McKenna Denson. Welcome, McKenna Denson. Thank you. Thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. And uh, there's a story behind that, which we will get to eventually. But um, McKenna and I have not planned anything. In fact, I've sat here in silence, which always makes the guest a little, what is this guy going to do to me? But it's because I, I get criticized for this because I don't really prepare to know everything about the guest. I want the guest to teach us, and then I'll have... Uh, questions and comments as we go and that way we'll just help you lead it through your life chronologically but the story you have to share is so important I think it's so vital to uh, what's going on in the world today and I think that it will open eyes uh, especially to elements of Mormonism mm -hmm. and uh, we're always interested in that uh, so we haven't discussed this I got a text message a number of months uh, two or three months ago from McKenna and uh, it wasn't about being on the show or, or meeting me or anything. It was about a, a mutual friend we have, Christy Johnson, who's been on the show. And she called me and just told me about some of the difficulties that Christy's having and said, you know, if you would, we could start a uh, GoFundMe for her. And I, I've been asked to do that before, but uh, hadn't. But this was a really good cause in case and still is. So uh, she led that charge. I built it or did it on uh, Christie's behalf and uh, and so it uh, that's how it started and then one thing led to another and I was asking her why don't you come on the show and then eventually we got to this point <laughs> so um, yeah. strange as this may sound I want to start off with word association for people who might not be familiar with your story I'm gonna set okay. some rules for this okay. which are gonna be uncomfortable for you because you only get two or three words for every one word I give you. And this will bait the audience in terms of, uh, okay. wonder why she would say that about that. Okay. And then as you then reveal it through your chronology and your story, I think it will become more apparent. So the first one, Mormonism. Crikey. Crikey is one word. <laughs> okay, that's all I get. No, you, you, can, you get three words. Mormonism, golly. Um... That's a tough one. They're all kind of tough. Are they? Yeah. Mormonism. Um, wow, I didn't prepare for this at all. Mormonism. Anti-Nephi-Lehi? <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, sin. Mm. No such thing. Life. To be enjoyed. Justice. Hmm. Doesn't always happen here. Repentance. <sighs> Repentance. It's kind of like the atonement, isn't it? Oh, crikey. Um, accountability. I'm going to break my rule and use two words so you okay. can use four. Oh, gee, thanks. Robert Kirby. Robert Kirby, um, Salt Lake Tribune journalist. Oh, <laughs> you are smart. Uh, men. Wonderful. Women. Wonderful. God. Free fall. McKenna. Mm-hmm. 
All right. <laughs> uh huh. So thank you for enduring that. That's not easy. No, right? that was. Uh, it's difficult when you're put yeah. on the spot. Yeah. And, yeah, and so uh, it shows that in some ways you need to be able to articulate far more on a subject than just to be able to be put on the spot and be asked a single term because it, it doesn't work when you're just put on the spot and you say a few words because it doesn't do the topic justice. Correct. Yeah. So that's why we do longer versions of interviews so you can, and, and other people like you, can get everything out and, and really say what you want to say. Okay. And you have the right to say, I made a mistake on that. I want to, wait, let me take that back. Because this is like, uh, for me, at least for our records, it's clearing the air of everything that's coming from, from your mind. So thank you. Let's kick this, what I'm calling the exhaustive interview off. Okay. Uh, kick back. Okay. Relax, but you already are. Um, uh-huh. Crisscross applesauce. Uh-huh. Act like we're all alone in a restaurant or a bar. Beer, and I please. Guess we've, we've kind of turned it into a bar from what I'm understanding. Oh, could, uh, could I? Please. Mimosa. Someone brought mimosas here. Um, and let's just learn about you, the person, okay. mm -hmm. in this first part, hour one. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. And I want to know about your, your family heritage and your, your grandparents and your parents, your earliest memories, the way you would describe your penchants and idiosyncrasies as a child, um, genetic predispositions. Uh, thoughts about God and life at that age. This is important. So boring. No, it's not boring. Really? No, it's why? good. Okay, explain why that's relevant. It's relevant because we're talking about who you are and what you brought to the table and what you were going to, didn't know you were going to experience in okay. your life. And so what it's going to do is it's going to juxtapose what you thought originally you were and what life was about versus what happens to you in life. And that gives us a really good fabric by which we can say, wow. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, from a young girl all the way up to uh, joining the LDS Church, and then receiving your mission call—that's part one. However long that takes. Okay. We'll take a break then, and that will be our our show for the first week, and then we'll get into part two after that. So that's ten minutes. So no, let's it's go. not. No, it's not. Okay. Come on. Okay. Give it to us, McKenna Denson. Mm-hmm. I was born. Oh, I was born of not goodly parents. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey, grew up in Reno. Oh. And I had a violently. Oh, thank you for my orange juice. You're welcome. I love this I'm one. I'm not sure you really want to have too many of those, but whatever. Too many it's orange juices? No. It's. Yeah. Okay. It's okay anyway. Um, Reno, Nevada, yes. I uh, went to elementary school. Um, my stepfather was violently sexually abusive. Oh. There was, um, I had an older sister, and there was a, a very unique dynamic. So my stepfather was, I know this sounds really odd, but he was in love with my older sister, and he hated me, hated me, and he hated my little brother. Mm. I think he hated my little brother because he had a penis, mm. and he hated me because I was rebellious, and I didn't go along with everything that he wanted. Um, my sister was a pleaser. So that was my childhood. Um, yeah. Grandparents? Wonderful grandparents. Yeah, my grandmother was not my biological grandmother, mm. um, but she married my grandfather. They were married a long time. Mm 
Um, they were both very good to us. Mm. Uh, we were not allowed to see them a whole lot when we were little because they didn't approve of my stepfather. Mm. Um, but when I got older, I used to ride my bike when I was in my teens, like 28 miles. I'd ride my bike to see my grandparents. Mm. And of course, they'd throw my, my bike in the back of the truck and take me home. But they were, they were just loving, kind. They had a hint, but they didn't really have an idea of what was happening. I think if they did, they would have done something about it. So they were uh, accessible. They were in Reno, too? They were in Reno, yes. Mm -hmm. But we were kept away from them because they were good people and mm. my, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad were stepped in. My mother was a doormat. My mother was, um, she wasn't a strong person. I remember one time in um, high school, she said, you know, I grew up without self-esteem. She said, I think you have it all. You're the only person in our family that has any self-esteem. You took it all. Hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but okay. Yeah, she, um, she was very submissive. Hmm. I was very not so much. Mm -hmm. yeah. And real, real dad, biological father, ever in the picture? Um, my parents divorced when I was an infant, and my biological father lived in New Jersey, and then he lived in um, Florida. So when I was, he came to visit when I was in fifth grade. He came for a couple of days. And here's something really kind of unusual. So my biological father and his wife come. My stepfather knows the one food that my biological father hates is eggplant. So there, my, my father and his wife are invited to dinner. What does he make? Eggplant. Uh, yeah. Ugh. I mean, who does that, really? Everywhere. I mean, really? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, you'd think you'd make an effort, yeah. at least. Are they still alive, mom, mom and stepdad? Oh, God, no. 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 Sister? Older sister? Yes. Uh, brother? Are you guys close? No. Not close. Mm -mm. Nope. So, uh, and then how did you kind of think you were as a person, as a kid, with all this happening, you said violent sexual abuse, I mean. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, you know, I, um, I remember one time when I was in fourth grade, I had this thought, I don't know where this thought came from, but I had this idea that it was summer and school was going to start again. And, I, and there was a girl across the street that was also molested by my stepfather. And I remember I took my, my sister and this other girl, I won't say her name, and they're older than me, and I pull them all in the bedroom, and I say, we have to tell somebody, because if we wait and we're in school, and then we tell, they'll blame it on the boys at school. That was my, that was my mindset in fourth grade. Mm. So we did, we told my mother, and this girl wasn't allowed to come over to our house except when my mother was there, like, like that would have mattered. And we, my sister and I, we, we were pulled into the bedroom one evening, um, I know it was, evening because there was a lamp on mm. and my mother was crying and my stepfather was crying and she's rubbing his back and, and I'm and they're explaining to us all these horrific things that are going to happen to him if we go to the police mm -hmm. and he'll go to jail and these and then they were very quite graphic mm -hmm. with the things that happened to pedophiles mm -hmm. in prison so and you were fourth grade about mm -hmm. yeah I was in fourth grade wow so, you know, so mom, the doormat was aware. Oh, yes. She held my hand a few times. <gasps> yeah, she was aware. Yeah. Oh, there was no, 
Yeah, she can't use that excuse. Mm -hmm. She didn't know. Mm -hmm. and, and, and let's say, for example, she didn't know. She certainly knew when I was in fourth grade, and it continued to happen, so, mm -hmm. yeah. And so having gone through all this that you've gone through and experienced, McKenna, mm -hmm. do you have an idea, you're not a, a professional, uh, but do you have an idea of what would cause a mother to allow her own daughter to be molested, even to the point where she's holding her hand while it's happening? What is it that would let a mother do that? That would allow that? I don't really know, but I do know on some levels with my mother, um, she had three children. She had no education. Mm -hmm. I think she felt desperate. She didn't feel like she was worth anything more than him. Mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine letting that happen to my children. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for me to put that in place. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, you know, she vacillated. When we were older, I would ask her why she let that happen. She'd say, that didn't happen to you. Mm. And then she'd go back later and she'd say, well, you know, it wasn't as bad as you thought it was. Mm. So I don't know. That stuff's worse. That's worse than just saying, yeah, it, it happened. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. But it wouldn't have been enough healing for me. You know, I think people really need to be accountable for what they do. Mm -hmm. But my mother was, I'd rather be me than her. Okay. But t I will tell you one story. Um, so I have forgiven my stepfather. Mm -hmm. I don't have that anger anymore. And that happened when I was in fourth grade. I, I was very sick and I went to the hospital and I died on the table. And they brought in a defibrillator and I was floating above my body, and I looked down, I could see the nurse, I could see all the instruments, every speck on the floor, every freckle on his head. Mm. And my, my mother and my stepfather were crying, and, and I wondered why they were crying. And I followed them out, and they went into this room, there was a, a label on it called the cry room. Mm. And the, they closed the door, and I went right through the door. Mm. And I remember looking at my stepfather, and he's crying, and I'm thinking, why is he, he doesn't even like me, why does he care, why is he crying? And then for this, fraction of a nanosecond, a fraction of a nanosecond, I felt his self-hatred. Mm -hmm. I felt his absolute revulsion of himself. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't think I could, I could endure that horrible feeling. So I went right back to my body and I don't remember anything after that. Sure. So for that moment, even with like Joseph Bishop, and we'll get to him later, I would rather be me because I know what this feels like. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't want to be a perpetrator in that arena. No thanks. Wow. Really, really astute. That's, mm. that's really nice. It, it, was, it was a gift. Yeah. 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 It, it, well, that made me able to forgive. Mm -hmm. Without that one moment in my life, and it really was just a fraction of an instant, mm -hmm. it was a flow of insight. Mm -hmm. And with that, I understand. Mm. Um, I don't understand pedophilia. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever will. Mm -hmm. um, I don't understand rapists. I don't think I ever will. Mm -hmm. But I do understand how they feel about themselves, unless they're a sociopath. Mm. And so it's easier to forgive when you have that, when you can understand. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make it okay, but it, it certainly helps the victim or the survivor of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah. I mean, that's the. That's the ethos of, of Christianity, is to be able to believe that the person who has sinned against you is in worse shape than you are, and to be able to have 
empathy and compassion on them if possible. If possible. Mm -hmm. Not easy. No, no. And I don't know that I could have done that on my own. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Did you, uh, did it continue after fourth grade? Oh, yes. It stopped for a couple of weeks. Uh, oh, yes. Nothing that, changed, yeah. In your experience, do you think, and again, you don't know statistics, but do you think this is common, fairly common, uh, ubiquitous in the experience of girls? I think it's a whole, whole lot more common than we know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and not just girls. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and so going through school, uh, you're a young girl, these horrible things are happening at home, you don't have a great home. Socioeconomically, were they able to keep up? We, we, did you have a, did you have clothes? With some. The, some? Yeah. Did you have to get a job early? I got it. <laughs> Yes, I did. Mm. So my mother finally, she got into a lesbian relationship with a woman named Susie. And we ran away from my stepfather. Once we ran at gunpoint, once we ran away at knife point. But this particular time, I don't remember if it was a gun or a knife, but my mother was ready. So she already had stuff packed and ready. So when he came at us, I don't even know if she may have instigated it so we could leave. I, I don't know. But we went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And then my mother's girlfriend and her two daughters came. And we lived in this little camper trailer, you know. And um, I got to work. I got a job at McDonald's. And I was stealing food because um, in this particular restaurant, this particular McDonald's, if your food, if the food sat in the window for more than 10 minutes, mm. it went into this little um, kind of a bin, mm -hmm. not a garbage can, but a bin. And then you could take that. Employees could eat it for free. Nice. So, yeah, not so nice because I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would load it up and you take it home. You delay orders? Yeah, well, I would just call in orders and <laughs> cheeseburgers <laughs> and fries. Yeah, that's how we ate for weeks. Wow. Weeks, yeah. My mother got a job at um, a Denny's. Susie never got a job. My older sister didn't get a job. And then I started high school at Coeur d'Alene. Wow. And then we f somehow magically went back to Reno. And back to him? No, God, oh, no. No, we didn't. We didn't. We went lived with my grandparents for a while, but my sister did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And she had a baby. Yeah. From dad? It's debatable. It's debatable. Is the baby alive? Oh, yeah. Adopted out. Oh, okay. Yeah. <coughs> So, um, Susie, did she become like a parent to you? I don't know. No, she was horrible. No, she, um, <coughs> as a person, I think she was probably a nice person, but I was sort of a, don't mess with me mm -hmm. at that age. And my little brother, I remember he came home from school one day and he said, I'm going to be a doctor. I was like, wow. <laughs> and Susie said, You'll never be a doctor. You're not smart enough. Mm -hmm. And I, I slapped her. Oh. And I called her a bitch. Yeah. Mm. So I and left. You were after fiery. That. I was very fiery. Mm. Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. There's. Some, I hate to bring this up, but there's some similarities in temperament with you and Christy. Yes. She was in my ward. She, oh, we'll get to that. We haven't got there yet. I'm sorry. Jumping Jump way ahead to wards, steak sorry. dances. <laughs> Who got asked to the Golden Green Ball? What's the Golden Green Ball? They did away with that by the time you were in it. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Mom, Susie, you go back to Reno.
Mm-hmm. High school? Yes. How did you do? Were you a good student? Um, I was a great student in elementary and junior high. In high school, not so much. I was working. So I moved out. I got an apartment. And I stayed with an LDS family for a little while, but oh. that was not very good. So I got an apartment. I was 15. I rode my bike to the hospital in the morning at like 5.30, and I worked. Um, at first, I worked as a messenger, and then I worked as um, a, a file x-rays mm. in radiology. Um, and then I'd go to high school, then I'd come back, and I'd finish my shift, then I'd go home and do my homework. Mm. And I, ha I had no furniture. Nobody knew where I was. I couldn't tell my grandparents because they would have jerked me out of there. So I had a, I had, the, <laughs> I had a, some blankets and a pillow. And I slept on the hardwood floor. And it was freaking heaven. Mm. It was heaven. I was free. Mm. And I was a good girl. Mm. I was just free. I was free. How old? Fifteen. Fifteen. Mm -hmm. Going on forty, but... Fifteen yeah, going 15. on forty. Uh -huh. So, uh, and there are other girls your age, that were your age now, that now are your age, and they, uh, they're doing the same thing. They're working the job, they're going to high school, mm -hmm. their parents are a disaster, and they're kind of toeing the line because they, they've been able to see past all that mess. So that's really remarkable. Before we leave your uh, childhood, and the disaster that was, what would you say to a woman who's in a relationship now with an abusive man? Get the hell out. Mm -hmm. I would say get the hell out. Mm -hmm. Make police reports and get the hell out. Mm -hmm. you know, it is not your job to fix somebody. Mm -hmm. If he has those tendencies and he doesn't want to get help, get the hell out. Mm -hmm. But watch every, watch every red flag because they're there. Mm -hmm. You don't want to see them, you put your little blinders on, but they're there. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't act on those red flags, there's no one to blame but you. Mm. So don't go to the bishop. Mm -hmm. Go to the police if there's mm -hmm. violence, any violence. And then if you decide you want a counselor, go to an outside LDS counselor. Mm -hmm. But if that remains abusive, get the hell out of there before it becomes dangerous. So do you give uh, the advice that um, some long suffering might be beneficial if the man is willing to work on it, change, he's not perfect, or do you just say, get the hell out, the first sign of... No, not the first sign. Okay. But if people have that propensity for violence, mm -hmm. that's not good. That, that's something pretty deeply rooted. Yeah. And really it depends, in my opinion, how violent they are. Yeah. So my, my, my first husband, which is the only husband I've ever had, he raised his hand to me once and I said, you touch me, that's the last thing you will ever do. After that, he kicked the armoire door off in Taiwan, and then he punched a hole in the wall in Texas. Hmm. And I said, okay, I'm done. So because you could see that is going to escalate toward Well, you. that and he was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. And, and verbal abuse? Oh, I don't put up with that for anything. Should I, should mm -mm. I do you think another? No, hell no. No, it's not, it's not up to somebody else to tell you who you are, how you should be, how you should look, how you should dress, what you should talk about. Mm -hmm. No. Because how, how can you be authentic with yourself if you have to be a certain way, behave a certain way, dress a certain way to please somebody else? Mm -hmm. There's nothing authentic about that. So uh, is, there, is there a line? Because when you get married, everyone knows there's difficulty. There's sure. just, yeah. And men, we are especially rough. We, we need to understand 
what it means to be a father and a husband, many of us, a father and a husband. And I'm just speaking from experience that I was a rough individual and it took a long, long, long time. I wasn't physically abusive. Uh, a couple times we got physical though, but I was just an ass. Do you take it that far too, if your husband's an ass? I think it really depends on what level that means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does that mean to you? And, and what, for me, that conversation would have happened a long time ago, and mm -hmm. that, that behavior would have changed, or that would have been the end of it. But with me as well, I expect people to tell me, you know what, you're a little, little abrasive here, mm -hmm. and that, that rubs me the wrong way. And then I, then I watch what I'm doing, because I don't want to hurt anyone. Mm -hmm. I just want to be myself. Yeah. And I like who I am. Mm -hmm. I haven't always liked who I am, mm -hmm. but I like who I am, and I want to be me. I don't want anyone else to tell me who I should be or how I should be. But being abrasive is one thing. Being um, condescending and belittling mm -hmm. and taking away someone's self-esteem, that, mm -hmm. that's a different level that's of bad. abuse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. Uh, my daughters, I would never want them to put up some of the antics I put my wife through. So I, I get it. Uh, so you're 15, you're on the floor with a blanket and a pillow, and you're loving life. You're in Reno, you're at the hospital, you're at high school, you're doing your homework. Yeah, I lied. Okay. I think I was 16 because I was already baptized. Oh, well. Because at 15, I was taking the missionary lessons. Oh, so go back, uh -huh. rewind. rewind. How did you get involved with that gig? With the Mormons? Yeah. Um, so I had a critical issues class in high school, and we talked about capital punishment, abortion, what it means, you know, scruples. What does it mean to get your, make it to the top, you know? I thought scruples were rubles, and I was confused, so they had to fix me with that little information. But it was about, you know, right and wrong, and what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And there was a group of kids in that class that, um, I think the teacher kind of picked on them, kind of mocked them a little bit, because they would not stand down. These kids would not stand down for anything. So he would intentionally, and I see it now, at, before I thought he was just making fun of them, and, but no, he would get the class really riled up. Whatever this group of kids, whatever these Mormon kids were saying, the whole class was against him. They still would not budge. So I was really curious as to what that was about. Mm. And, and why are they so hell-bent on, abortion is absolutely no, unless, rape or incest. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, what determines that? And, and how do you come up with that? Mm -hmm. And then capital punishment, the same thing. So I learned that they were Mormon, whatever that was, mm. started taking the missionary lessons, and yeah. Does that make any sense to you today uh, that abortion is absolutely prohibited unless it's in the case of rape or incest? I haven't thought about abortion in years. Mm. I don't have a, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Um, what was interesting to me, though, in that class, was that these kids had the idea, whatever that idea was, it was stuck in their brain, and they were not under any circumstance going to sway, even for popularity. And you found that attractive. I did, and and it was curious to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that certainty, you start hanging out with them. Oh, was there a guy involved? No. That's unusual. Usually no. there's some sort of There was later, but romance. no, not at first. No, wow. there was, um, mm -mm. no, I was just, because I was pretty much on my own. Okay. And I, I was trying to redefine myself because I knew 
where I came from was not where I wanted to be. And I didn't know who I wanted to be or what I wanted to be, but I knew it had to be better than that because even living alone was was amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I started taking missionary lessons and um, was getting ready for baptism. And that's when I started, I had a crush on the boy. After I started taking lessons at his house, I, I had a crush on him. Mm-hmm. So baptized in Reno? Yes, my 16th <coughs> birthday. Wow, mom and dad were, or they didn't even play a role. No, um, so before I got baptized, I was living with my mother and she was working graveyard shift. So I was there to care of my brother at night and um, I had to sneak out to go to church. I didn't even own a dress. So I babysat for a woman that was like two apartment doors down from me and she would loan me a dress. I'd put in a paper bag and I'd throw my overalls on and I'd run to church. Wow. I would change in the bathroom and um, run home before my mom woke up. But if she happened to wake up, I was already dressed mm. in my overall, so she wouldn't have known, or my jeans, she didn't mm. know. But when she found out, she didn't have money for my birthday present, mm. so she thought, I'll just let her get baptized. Oh. Thought that was a phase. Well, and was it? No. Yeah. <laughs> so you were no. active 15, 16 on? Yes, very. Totally. Sold out? Book of Mormon. Oh, the whole thing. Whole thing. Yeah. Um, Temple marriage, you desired it? Oh, yes. Oh, there was nothing more important to me than a mission and a temple marriage. Yeah. And it had to be a return missionary. It had to be the RM. It had to be the RM, yeah. Wow. It worked out okay. well. So didn't you, it? you really, and prophet is speaking for God. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. My, my bishop, my stake president. So here I am, 15 years old, and I'm getting ready for my baptismal interview and so I go in this room with this man who was our ward mission leader he wasn't the bishop and so we're talking about you know this worthiness interview and so he's asking me about you know normal stuff then he says do you masturbate and I said I didn't know what it was I didn't know what it was I'm like "Uh, I don't I don't think so no and he said so I know that you um, your stepfather was abusive. Did you enjoy it? Did you ever orgasm? Oh my God. And I remember, I know, right? And so I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, um, that's, that's, I didn't know how to answer that because it's like, so if the, if the um, abuse is violent, it is not pleasurable. Yeah. But when you're a little child, some sexual things are pleasurable. So I started feeling this tremendous amount of guilt oh. thinking, oh wait, um, so to me, I'm looking at this man who holds the priesthood and he's the conduit to God. Yeah. God is asking me these questions. I'm like, <gasps> so I'm thinking, do I have to consider it? Uh, I never thought about it. Mm. Um, is this my fault? Did I do something wrong? Mm. You know? Wow. So that was my first behind closed doors interview. Did it do anything or was it just part of the plan and system? Okay, I, I, it was troubling, but. This is God talking through his priesthood leader. I talked myself into that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did. It gave me pause. I, uh, this is not popular, but uh, especially in light of Sam and, and everything, but I believe that some of the interviews that LDS bishops allow for youth are beneficial. I think kids, for instance, who didn't have good families, who don't know boys, who don't know how to stop masturbating. I mean, they're doing it five times a day. They feel guilty about it and they talk to a good bishop and they say, you know, I'm doing this all the time. 
there are those guys out there that can help some kids. So it's really tough for me, uh, even though I certainly don't believe there should be inquisitions and prying questions like you received, but I don't think it's necessarily bad for somebody. I do it myself. There There are kids, they don't open up to their parents or friends, but they'll say to me, you know, is it wrong to do this? And you what know? do you tell them? I say, you know, it's between you and God. See, if the bishops were to say that... And there are some who would. Okay. Some. But we can't, we can't take that chance. That's true. Because what's happened with the Protect LDS Children movement is there are bishops... Well, for example, I was set up to be raped by Joseph Bishop mm -hmm. because it was okay for me to be behind closed doors mm -hmm. with an adult man mm -hmm. asking sexually explicit questions. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a grooming process that needs to stop. Okay. I don't think kids should ever be alone with anyone behind closed doors, completely alone. And I don't think the shame that the church gives kids is appropriate. Mm -hmm. It is so debilitating, dangerous, and detrimental mm -hmm. to, their, to their growth. And mm -hmm. so a kid masturbates. That's normal, healthy, sexual human behavior. And to make them think that what they're doing is close to murder? Mm -hmm. Really? Seriously? Who does that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about the standard North Temple party line on masturbation that, you know, Bruce, uh, Marky Peterson came up with and all that mm. shit. I'm talking about a good, and there are good bishops because they're just good guys. Yeah, but who like, gets to pick who those are? It's, it's Bishop it's, Roulette. Uh, it's the same thing. I mean, it's like if, uh, one blanket, one blanket statement for everybody on earth whatever you know can you talk to a coach can you go into your basketball coach and say coach you know you know I'm doing this a lot and I just don't get what's going on and he says well you know it's gonna lessen your strength mr. Trickett in seventh grade says if you masturbate you'll get weak in the knees you know can can coaches talk with kids? where I just worry about the this is must be done this way because there are always exceptions now I think there could be improvements with Sam's what he's saying and I think all of that is great. Get rid of the sin nature of it all. Let's use love. Let's use compassion. I just, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not saying I, I completely disagree with it, but I, I benefited by having a few good LDS men in my life. There were some real bad ones too that made me feel very guilty and gave me those questions. So your point's good. How do we, how do we sort out the bad from the good? But I don't know that we can do that in any walk, in anything in this world. I don't either, but I do think that having it um, appropriate to put a child behind closed doors with one adult is inappropriate. Yeah. If my daughter trusted her young women's president and wanted to talk privately with her, mm -hmm. that would be fine. Ooh. If my daughter wanted to talk to the bishop, I would be okay with that. <laughs> but having mandatory worthiness interviews, yeah. pulling them in, closing the door, not appropriate. Yeah. And, and you make a good point because uh, I think for young men, there could be a problem if they're uh, homosexual with going into a bishop and him making them feel really bad. That could be difficult, but some boys talking to another bishop who's a good bishop, I'm not sure it's as dramatic. That's the side that's not being said here. I'm not sh There's a lot of guys who grew up in the church out of the 12 million members who have gone through it and they How are- How many million members? 15 million members. No, members. Yeah, I'm talking members too. Yeah, I'm not talking about active. I'm talking about members. Oh, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I just, I'm just trying to open up the discussion because I, uh, I personally, I can see the heinousness, 
I mean, if my daughters went in and some bishop said, do you masturbate? I would be furious. And they shouldn't be bringing girls especially in there. But this thing mocks the priesthood, see? This is where the priesthood needs to be called. All this priesthood BS needs to be called in. So, and worthiness needs to, forget worthiness and priesthood. That's the real issue at here. That's why they're not letting it go. Because it's, it, it's central in priesthood, worthiness, and power. And so I think that's really the thing that has to fall before this church is going to do anything as good as what Sam and, and you are talking about. Anyway, you've joined the church. You've been that was a good rant. You've been, you've been embarrassed by the bishop. He was the bishop or the stake president? No, he was just the ward mission leader. Oh, even worse. Wow. But, well, I don't know. I th to me, it would have been worse if it was the bishop. Mm. Now, looking back. Yeah. But it was anyone. So yeah. what that did, though, is, is, is it told me in my mind, didn't, he didn't verbalize this, but it's okay mm. to be behind closed doors yeah. with the priesthood leader asking you questions that are highly inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I remember on my LDS mission, I was a zone leader and was interviewing a woman who was a doctor at a hospital. And I said, are you morally clean? And she said, my legs are crossed, aren't they? And I was like 20. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> well, um, She like owned me. Does that make me inappropriately morally <laughs> no, unclean? No, no, no. <laughs> no, not at all. But that was, it's just like, it's so foolish, these men with the priesthood. I'm here interviewing this MD about being baptized because she wanted to marry her LDS doctor husband and she just owned me and I was like yeah I'm pretty stupid in this so you're active what yes keep going um, so I started dating um, a kind of an inactive guy okay and when I joined the church it was the first time in my life I ever felt peace and joy and safety and just love so I was really looking forward to my mission, and I was um, going out with this guy that had been a police officer, and he was, at that time, he was currently working security. And I didn't want to have any sexual relationship with him. I was going on a mission. But um, it was a date rape, and I got pregnant, and I moved to Southern California, and I had the baby there, and gave her up through LDS Social Services. When you and I talked on the phone, you were traveling, and we'll get to that conversation that was caused by me, but um, yeah. you were traveling, and you said, you know, it was a date rape, but, and you but. threw something mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. So I did not give consent, and I can say, I can call it a date rape because I did not give consent, but I have a real hard time... Um, throwing all of my blame on him and I know that there are people that are like no it's absolutely his fault but I have a, I have a problem with that because I, I know I gave mixed signals because part of me wanted to but I really didn't and I wasn't ready and I didn't want to be ready but you know so for me it was like okay so what part do I own because I, I, I want to own the part that I did mm -hmm. so I struggle with I still struggle with that mm. you know um, did I give mixed signals enough that it made him think it was okay? And is he someone that would normally do that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know him that well. Yeah. I don't know of him ever doing that again. Yeah. So. And just, can we talk frankly about this? Yeah. From an from a alpha male's perspective. Okay. The alpha males I know, that if a girl smiles at them, they think that she wants me. Right. Yeah. You see? I see it now. Yeah. 
Yes. So if you're engaged in, you know, making out, if you've taken clothes off and stuff, the yes or no thing in a guy's mind is like a foregone conclusion. And I just wonder too about this side. Tell me, clear it up for me. I mean, do are we coming to a place where a woman says, yes, check, here's the paper, you may. I mean, or the passion of sexual engagement, it just kind of, and, and, and also girls, especially girls who, have like, who are LDS, there is this uh, no, 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 yes, 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 yes. You yeah. can't help that, you know? Well, it, yeah, it's not just LDS, though. I think it's anyone who's trying to live the law of chastity. Okay. Trying to live a modest life. We have these normal, natural hormones. Yeah. And so naturally, we want intimacy. Yeah. Not necessarily sex. Oh, now that's a really good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. But yeah. when you're young, you don't know where the law... Well, first of all, we're not, oh. we're not taught sexuality. Yeah. And everything we're taught is no, 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 and then when you're married, anything goes. Yeah, great. And, point. and what does that mean exactly? So, when you're in a, in, in a situation where you're physically wanting but physically not wanting at the same time, mm. I think you give mixed messages, mm. and that's why I say I have a hard time just saying it's all him. You make such a good point there. My wife has always told me, you know, my dream of a of a boy was that he would just kiss me. And I'm thinking, <laughs> when I was 13, my dream of a girl is let's, you know, get naked. And there's just, there's just a difference in the gender, you know? And, and I think you're so right that girls, they just want the, to be loved, you know? And the guy just wants to, many guys, not all, just want to have the sex. And so we have this miscommunication and you make a great point. Perhaps you gave signals, but it wasn't to be raped. It was just, Give me intimacy. Give me love. I like this. Well, and it wasn't not to be raped. It was not to have sex. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think he even in his mind still today would say, "Yeah, I raped her," or I "Yeah, I did that without consent," even though he knows he did that without consent. I see. I don't think he would call it rape. I see. So I don't want. Yeah, you know, it's. I didn't give consent. I didn't want that intimacy. I wanted to go on a mission, mm -hmm. and that's where every part of my life was. Mm -hmm. But I have to be generous in, in that because... I appreciate that, actually. Because, I mean, it's terrible what happened. Uh, but there is another side to some, to some uh, of these experiences where kids are together and, and something goes wrong and the girl gives up something she really didn't want to. And the guy thinks, I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So it does help with some love and forgiveness. I think so. All right. Yeah. So you got pregnant. I did. Wow. And you moved to Westminster or? I moved to Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach. Yeah. <laughs> vote for Huntington Beach back there. Uh, uh, how old? Mm, 17. 17. So I was 17 uh, in Huntington. I went to Edison High School. Are you still going to high school or are you out? No. You're out. And what stake? North stake? You don't, oh, you don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. I see. I just remember some of the people in my ward. Oh, okay. And so were you active even though you were with child? Uh, I wasn't really, I wasn't allowed to do anything. I had to go to Relief Society. I wasn't, the, the, the young men and young women were not even allowed to say hello to me. I couldn't <gasps> go to any activities, nothing. Now we're talking about heinous ass religion. That is just. Well, they thought it was a bad example. Oh. So, yeah. 
So you were, did you become inactive in that because of that treatment or no, did you continue? No, it didn't to matter to me. Didn't matter? No, I didn't really care, no. Was mom with you at this time? My or, mother? I don't know. Oh, hell no. Okay, so you were alone again. Yes. Well, I left, when I moved out and got an apartment, that was the last time I was ever with my mother. Okay, all right. Had the baby? Yes. Uh, do you remember the hospital? Or yes. Which one? Uh, in Hunting it was in Huntington Beach. Oh, yeah. I wonder if it was yeah. the one on... Dr. Nolan. Wow. He would not give me any medication, no epidural, no nothing, because he wanted me to feel what that child labor felt like and not get pregnant again. Were you a pioneer? I mean, how I old are know. you? I mean, what is wrong <laughs> with these men? I don't know. What is wrong with them? Well, you know them? what was really bad? So they bring the baby in, and I'm like, oh, like it's real. It's like, oh my gosh, and she was so perfect. And the nurses came in and swept her away. And in the hallway, I heard them saying, that's not her. She's not keeping it. Don't give it to her. Because I think they were afraid. Wow. Truly. It wasn't to be unkind. Yeah. I think it was, don't let her bond with that baby, you know? So. Social church social services. Church social services uh, took care of her for a couple of weeks. Um, and then I got to have her on the 14th of December for one day to say goodbye. Oh, my gosh. People were really nervous that I was going to change my mind. Mm. But I didn't feel like I could be a parent. My mm. stepfather was still harboring right here constantly. Um, but I had this really beautiful experience. So um, in our ward was a man named Vern Curtis. Mm. And his wife was Phyllis Curtis. And he was the vice president of Winchell's and Denny's. Mm. So I was sitting in the pew after I'd given the baby up, everything was done, the papers were signed, and I'm sitting in the pew by myself because I don't know a single person except adults, and they're way older than me. And I'm sitting in the pew, and he comes over and he sits right next to me. I mean, like, right in my space next to me. I look over there, and I say, Brother Curtis? He says, and he puts a wad of cash in my lap. And I'm looking down, and I'm like, well, what, what is this for? He said, I think you need a new wardrobe. I said, this is too much. I don't need this. This is, I don't, it's okay. Nope, you do. And I want to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, you know where my wife's been for the last three weeks? And I said, Mexico? I don't know. Where is she? I haven't seen her. Is she okay? He said, no, she's not okay. She's going to be okay, but she's not okay. I said, okay. Uh, where is she? He said, she's in bed. She's been in bed for three weeks, crying, weeping, can't get out of bed, can't eat. I said, I'm so sorry, is she sick? Is she okay? He said, no. She went to the temple, she fasted and prayed and asked the Savior to carry your burden. So you would not have to feel the pain that you would feel giving up your child. And I thought, wow. So it's real when the scriptures say, we're to carry one another's burdens. That became a real tangible thing because I never wept a tear. I thought it was because I was so convinced that giving my baby to an LDS family was going to save her because I couldn't be a mom. I had no education. Um, so I thought it was because I, I already knew that that was the right thing to do. Now I look back at that and I think, you know, I don't think so. I think that woman physically, emotionally, spiritually carried my burden. A good experience. Wonderful experience, yeah. You mentioned, uh, when you talked about joining the LDS Church, you mentioned uh, peace and joy. It brought you peace and joy. Yes, right. So you then realize when other members of the church that you meet today, and 
and say, I just have so much joy and peace in being a member. You don't really dispute that. You realize that the institution can give that, or do you think it was false joy and peace that you were having when you were a young member? I think anything that is good and wholesome and healthy mm -hmm. will bring you joy and peace. The safety I felt was the love of Christ. The safety I felt was not being around people like my family. So that was, I surgically removed my family and would not allow anyone else like that into my internal space. Learning about God, um, when I was little, I wanted to go to church with my neighbor girl. They were Catholic. And I asked if I could go. And he said, there is no God. I am God. And I remember thinking, uh-huh, OK. And when I'm old enough, I'm going to church, because you can't always tell me no. So um, I, I felt like just finding the Savior, just finding Christ was what brought me peace and joy. And knowing that the people that I was surrounded by in the Mormon church were never going to hurt me. So I felt safe with those people. Mm -hmm. Boy, the buildup is uh, phenomenal in this story. Mm. Um, I do want to jump ahead just for a nanosecond. A nanosecond? You, you use that. And you said, you've said the Savior. You've mm -hmm. said Jesus. Mm -hmm. I know that you are, I don't forget how you put it, dangling or out there. Free or, fall. Free fall. I'm in spiritual free fall. Spiritual free fall. Mm -hmm. And yet, when I've talked with other atheists or whatever, not that you're an atheist, but I've talked to atheists, they'll say, um, yeah, when I was Mormon, I believed Jesus, that there was a Jesus and I had God, but you know, I've come. But you don't make those qualifiers. <laughs> so in your free fall, no. are you saying there, right now, just for this nanosecond, are you still somehow relating to a Jesus? Still somehow relating to a God somehow? You know, I knew you were going to ask me a question like that. Um, I don't know anymore. I mean, so when I, when I stop, so I've had three near-death experiences. When I stop and I, and I focus on those events, just like with Sister Curtis, Phyllis Curtis, carrying my burden, when I focus on those events, I have comfort and a level of, you know, there's a God. But then when I'm out in the real world and I'm seeing everything that's going on and the way I'm being treated by the church and whatever, I kind of go, you know, I, their God isn't true. Where's the Mormon Jesus? I don't want that guy. Where's the Mormon God? I don't want that guy either. So I'm still, I'm just sort of, okay. I'm waiting for the truth. I'm asking for the truth. And I think some of my experiences will lead me to that. Tremendous. Uh, so. Did you name your baby? A girl, right? Yes, I did. Did you? Yeah. Can you share it or you don't? Amanda. Amanda. But her name is Jessica. Her name is her Jessica. Her parents gave her Jessica Louder. Her last name is Louder. Mm -hmm. And then I have a daughter, Nicole, and I have a daughter, Amanda. Wow. I know, right? And then a daughter, Emily Sinier. Yeah. Whoa. Emily, yeah. So. Four daughters. I do, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, the first Amanda. Now, what's her first name? Jessica. Jessica is how old? 35. And then the other girls? 29, 27, almost 28, 28th on the 4th of October, um, and then and 13. Wow. Little Emily's 13, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, so before we get to them, because that's, that's going to be in part two, as you 
uh, we're wrapping up LDS social services. You gave your daughter up for adoption. I you did. Know, and the Louders took her. Yes. I didn't know them at the time. You didn't know them. It was kept private. Very. It was hush-hush, secret, closed, sealed. You oh. never knew. No, I couldn't know. Wow. But, uh, was it through the stake or the bishop? Or? We'll uh, get to that other part. Oh, there's, yeah. Um, was what through the stake or bishop? The, the, the adoption? adoption. Um, well, it was Sorolia Social Services so in California. Okay. All right. So. And then mission. You've had a baby. In those days, they would let you have a child out of wedlock and then, or, and then serve a mission. They let you uh, do a lot of things that I did. I got, ex I got disfellowshipped and they let me serve a mission. They wouldn't let you do that now. Their missionary standards are much higher. But they allowed you to go on a mission. Yes. Wow. And was that from the Huntington Beach stake, uh, North stake? I whatever? left from, no. Um, oh. So after, after I had Jessica, I started to work for a dentist in our ward. And oh. he had an office in Torrance. So I basically moved to Torrance. You're not Markham. Yeah, Don Markham. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, so I worked there for a couple of years with him, um, and then Randy Turner was there. Do you know Randy Turner? He was a stake president there in Palos Verdes. Anyway, so yeah, I left from there. Amazing. Uh, where'd you get called to? Colombia, Cali. Quote, oh my gosh, the Medellin cartel. Yeah. Wow. Wouldn't that have been fun? <laughs> yeah. So you get the call. I got the paperwork. And I went to Reno, and I didn't have anyone to share it with except my friend, um, but she wasn't Mormon, and it wouldn't mean very much to her. Mm. So I went up to Lake Tahoe to one of my favorite spots, and I opened it. I knew I was going foreign. Mm. I knew it. And when I, when I opened it, and I, I realized I was going to learn Spanish, I thought, I didn't think I was smart enough. How could I learn Spanish? Mm. Wow, this is going to be great. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to convert the entire country of Colombia. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Let's start with Pablo Escobar. Shall we? <laughs> and so, uh, did you have a farewell? Um, mm, mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah, in yeah. California, I uh -huh. did. Uh -huh. And uh, were you able to fund it, or was the church? I think the church funded it. The church them funded it. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. And that's where, uh, so how old are you before you entered the MTC? I was 21. 21. Mm -hmm. Mission call, mm -hmm. Columbia, Cali mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are going to wrap part one up with okay. that mm -hmm. and continue on with part two next week. Great. Awesome. And